We're talking today with David Drake, University of Wisconsin-Madison Extension Wildlife Specialist in the Department of Forest and Wildlife, and I'm Lori Kolb. David, um, we're talking about wildlife in Wisconsin in winter. What do wildlife do, you know, both in the wild and in urban settings? Uh, so, so wildlife in Wisconsin in the wintertime have three choices, essentially. So they can either stay active and stay here in our state or in a local area. So they'd be what's considered resident animals, and they're here year-round. Um, so that's one option. Uh, the second option is to hightail the heck out of here and uh, go somewhere south um, so that we have some animals that migrate out of our area so that they're in, in warmer climates for the wintertime, and then they'll come back up here in the springtime. Mm -hmm. And then the third option is to sleep through the winter. So we've got animals that uh, hibernate who are either true hibernators or what we might call restive hibernators or, or um, some kind of a variety of hibernation where they, they will sleep through the winter. So those are really your three options uh, as a wildlife species in, in Wisconsin, regardless of where you live. Does the weather affect or impact the hibernators? It can. Um, so typically what drives uh, animals to start entering uh, hibernation or getting prepared for hibernation or getting prepared to migrate uh, south out of our area is the, the big driver is length of daytime. So as the days start shortening in the fall, uh, along with the shortening days, we have changing weather patterns. So now all of a sudden it starts getting colder. Uh, we have different precipitation uh, types and levels and things like that. So, so all of that um, helps the animals to kind of key in on it's now start, I, I need to start preparing for hibernation or I need to start preparing for uh, staying here winter, all winter long active or I need to prepare for migration out of here. Um, so all of that is driven by that. Now, for, for animals that hibernate, the biggest thing in the wintertime is whether or not we have snow cover. Or I should say, it's just not, not say that's the biggest thing, but it's one of the biggest things. Because snow cover is like a blanket, so it helps to insulate. And animals, a lot of times, especially animals that are hibernating underneath the ground uh, or in the ground, that if you don't have that snow cover, that cold penetrates much deeper into the soil. And so all of a sudden now, they're uh, in a colder climate or a colder environment, subterranean, and they have to start burning more energy to stay warm as they hibernate. So they're actually burning through their fat stores quicker than they normally would if there's a snow cover on top. So that's that's one of the concerns when we don't have a, a average snow cover is that those animals may be burning through their fat stores a little bit quicker than they normally would. And what about the animals that are living near urban centers? How does the winter impact them? They probably have a pretty, well, I shouldn't say a pretty easy time, but a relatively easy time for, uh, for a number of reasons. So typically in urban type areas where you have more impervious surface buildings, uh, things like that, that you have kind of a heat island. So you, typically the temperature, the ambient temperature is a little bit higher than it would be out in non-urban type areas because you've got um, all that impervious surfaces is absorbing and storing the solar radiation that then will be given off uh, over the course of the day and the night. Um, buildings are not all that well insulated depending on when they were built. So if you are around uh, older houses or older buildings, you know, heat's leaking out of those buildings and so you might be able to benefit from that. And on top of it, there's just a tremendous amount of food um, resources in the urban-type areas or in those areas that are human-dominated. So there's a lot of natural food sources. So just think about the number of squirrels or rabbits or, or small mammals like voles and mice and rats you have in your, in your neighborhood or your yard. So there's just a, a more greater abundance of food at the natural level for these animals um, to take advantage of. But in addition to that, then there's all this human-provided food on the landscape that is either directly provided or indirectly provided. So uh, the, the most common direct provision is bird feeding. 
So a lot of people will put bird feeders out, and all those seeds are either eaten by other birds, obviously, or small mammals that are seed eaters. And if small mammals then are attracted to those bird feeders, then that will start drawing in some predators like hawks or owls or, or raccoons or fox or whatever the case might be. So there's just a greater abundance of both natural and human-provided food in those urban areas relative to non-urban areas. So, And, and these animals, uh, if you're here year-round and you're active through the winter, um, what they're doing to stay warm is they're just running their metabolism all the time. And as they burn that metabolism, they've got to take in the amount of calories, at least the amount uh, or preferably more calories than they're burning. Otherwise, they're going to go into an energy deficit. So um, it's just easier to find food and, and, and more readily available and, and quicker uh, to access it in the urban areas typically. So are there things that um, humans should be thinking about in urban areas in regard to wildlife? Um, probably the biggest thing is just to uh, wildlife-proof your house because um, some of these animals are uh, going to seek out shelter, you know, some warmer areas in, in your chimney or your attic or in between your walls or something like that. If the animal can get into your house or into your, your basement, they're going to take advantage of that access point and, and come in because it's, <laughs> it's nice and warm there and, and uh, it's comfortable and they don't have to burn a lot of, of energy to stay warm. So that's probably the biggest thing is just make sure that you are wildlife-proofing your house. You know, put a chimney cap on your on your chimney, for example, so uh, cavity species, cavity nesting species like raccoons don't occupy your chimney. And, you know, just walk around your house, so look uh, at the foundation and, and look, um, you know, along the side of your house and look where your eaves meet the, the side of your house and things like that. And just uh, close any gaps that you might have of maybe a half an inch or larger. So either take a caulk gun or expandable spray foam or something like that. Um, you know, check the vents that are coming through your roof that might vent from your kitchen or your bathroom. And if the vent pipe is open, maybe put a screen or... Um, or hardware cloth or something fit, fitted over the top of that pipe so animals can't get into the pipe and, and then into your house through the through the uh, vent pipe. If you have determined that there are animals, what should you do? What can be done? Yeah, so to be sure, you know, you may have to do a little sleuthing. Um, either actually look for the animal. A lot of times people might hear the animal. Um, so, so if the animal's in the attic, for example, they might hear it uh, on their ceilings, you know, tra traipsing across their ceiling. Um, so that's one option you know just poke your head up into your attic occasionally and, and with a flashlight you know see if you see any animals up there look for droppings uh you know feces um a lot of times animals will especially in the attic where you have insulation animals will, will make beds or nests up there and so you'll see um maybe some some insulation is missing from an area maybe it's concentrated or compiled in another area so that's some things to look for as well um, and if you have the animals, uh, then you can either do it yourself, so you can get a live trap perhaps and, and trap the animal and, and remove the animal that way, um, or there's plenty of companies out there you can look, you know, just Google um, wildlife control or wildlife pest control or something like that, and there will be companies that will, will take care of the problem for a fee for you as well. But regardless of what you do, um, before you do anything uh, in terms of live trapping or removing the animal from your house, you have to find that access point or those access points and close those off. Otherwise, the animal is just going to come back or another animal may come back in there as well. What wildlife can people be looking for outside? You know, it's interesting. We're starting to get um, some of the, the early migratory birds, you know, will start coming back up. So, you know, robins, cedar waxwings, um, you know, bluebirds will be up here pretty soon. And, and so, you know, some of the migratory birds will start trickling back in and 
That's always a nice sign that <laughs> spring is on its way, even though we might be a, a few months out. If you're out, uh, especially with snowfall, you know, go out and uh, take a hike and, and look for animal tracks in the snow, and that's a really fun thing to do to kind of figure out what might be walking through there. It's a great way to also see what, what might be living around where you live. Is it a good thing to have a bird feeder? Yeah, I think generally it is. Um, you know, if you if you see birds that are starting to get uh, some gunk or some, some crustiness around their eye, that's eye conjunctivitis. And so a lot of times uh, you should take the bird feeders down for a little while and, and let that uh, just kind of um, let the birds kind of spread out and, and uh, hopefully that will go away. Um, make sure you, you feed or um, clean your bird feeders uh, with some regularity. So um, if you start seeing that the uh, the bird seed is starting to um, kind of clump in there with some moisture, uh, make sure that you don't have moldy seed out there. Um, get rid of all that so the animals don't have access to that. And, and just feed or clean your feeders with a kind of a soapy water mix, uh, you know, every so often just to keep them clean and, and put good seed in, you know, clean, dry seed. And, yeah, but, no, generally it's a good thing. And uh, typically you want the feeders uh, to be, either within three feet of, a, of the side of your house or a window or more than 30 feet away so that the birds don't fly into the windows um, as they start leaving the, the feeder. Uh, you, you typically want the feeders relatively close to uh, some kind of shelter or vegetation so that if a predator comes through, the birds can get off the feeder quickly and, and, and get into shelter to be safe. Um, and there's a lot of good information out there, actually through the extension website, about uh, bird feeding and bird feeders and how to clean them and maintain them and, and uh, the do's and don'ts and things like that. Okay. And how can they find that information then? You go through the extension, University of Wisconsin Extension Learning Store. Um, there's a, a publication out there on uh, feeders, uh, feeder shelves and houses. If you just do an internet search of bird feeding and University of Wisconsin Extension, it should pop up. We've been talking today with David Drake, University of Wisconsin-Madison Extension Wildlife Specialist in the Department of Forest and Wildlife, and I'm Lori Cole.